Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to one more episode for 2020 of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. Welcome back. Your Derek. favorite year coming to a close. Oh, man. So this is our last episode of 2020. It is almost uh, Christmas time or Hanukkah or, you know, all that stuff that we celebrate at the end of the year. I think um, we got a bunch of holidays coming up for various folks around the world. So it's that time of year. 2020 is almost done. And Derek, I, I will be honest, I am ready, ready for this stupid year to be finished. Amen, brother. As am I. So... So I'm curious, though. I got a question for you. Um, thinking about Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before I talk about that, Derek, I ordered our stickers. Oh, our stickers are going to be here like two days before Christmas. That's they're going to be here on the 23rd. So we got some stickers. So um, that might be my favorite Christmas present ever. <laughs> Retro time stickers, Derek. That's my favorite Christmas present. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we got stickers. So check out uh, what we'll post on uh, on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff uh, about that. So so keep an eye out for that. And we'll, we'll have it online. We'll probably send a newsletter out. Um, and we'll, we'll get it so you can order on, on, on the website. Probably be like, I don't know, like a dollar just to cover like stamps and stuff. Um, I don't imagine we're we're gonna make any money back on these stickers, but we got them, and they're gonna look really sweet on your laptop, uh, right next to your Google sticker or your Apple sticker or whatever other stickers you have, all your ironic um, software stickers uh, on your laptop. It's gonna look really sweet. So back to it, Derek, real quick. Question: Best Christmas present you ever got? Let's think about something happy uh, to end out uh, 2020. Love it. Um, all right, I'll go. Uh, so. The best Christmas present I ever got was, um, it was kind of a surprise, as most presents are. Christmas mm-hmm. Day, should be, I walk yeah. into the room, you know, my I lived in my grandma at the time, and she had a Christmas tree, and everything's on there, and I had a lot of presents, you know, I was this only child, of course, you know, they're just going to give the kid a lot of presents. So I go over there, open one up, and it's what I asked for. It was like uh, one of the Power Rangers when I was a kid, I mean, one of the Power Rangers, so it was one of the Power Rangers, and I was so excited about it. Nice. And they were hard to get too. Like you had to, um, you had to like know someone at Walmart at the time in order to get one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you had to like had to like give give a guy some money to hold one. And then I open, you know, a few other. I open the next one. It was another Power Ranger with his oh like with his Power Zord or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, I'll be honest. I don't really know much about. Power oh, Rangers. dude, it was it was big time at the time. Like they 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 had like um, uh, what do you call them? Like uh, like robot dinosaurs that they rode on. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, kind of. They were like, uh, what's that show we, that was like older? But it was a cartoon, not Megatron. Megatron's Transformers, but Trans- oh, what was it? Uh, no, what was it called? They had like uh, it was similar, but they had like lions, and they all they all formed up together. Oh yeah, made, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I they know made what the guy. About. What is that called? It was basically like Power Rangers. Uh, I yeah, know, our, our listeners are going to be very disappointed in us, anyway. but yeah, they don't remember what it is. Um, and anyway, I opened one. I opened another. I kept getting them. I kept getting them. And then I got this one that tied them all together so I could build this giant Ooh. thing, which was called the Megazord, and it came with a sword and all this stuff. Yeah. It blew my mind. Remember? I don't know how okay. my, my uh, how, how Santa Claus pulled it off. Um, <laughs> he made it with his elves. He's for, our elves kid, so. for our kids listening out there, <laughs> how Santa Claus pulled it off because I had, you know, I just couldn't believe it. So it was, that was, uh, I still to this day don't know how, um, how they That's managed impressive. that. Um, do you think Santa Claus has licensing deals with all the major toy companies? Um, yeah, I'm wondering yeah. how he doesn't get in trouble for building all these toys. He's got an Amazon factory near, uh, near the North Pole. That, uh, <laughs> That's what it is. They send it all to. He then re- 
retools it. Yeah. Oh man. Sometimes you Linus get asked me like really. <laughs> Linus asked me a really smart question the other day. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something about like how Santa Claus could possibly build so many toys and get them to all the kids all in a single night. You know, <laughs> I, was just like, I was like, he's magic, man. You just got to be beliefs. You got to believe, baby. You just got to believe. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I guess my, my favorite toys were always Legos. Um, and I, uh, man, I love, I still have all my Legos, man, from when I was a kid. Um, I have them all in the attic at my mom's house and I cannot wait for the day when I can give them the Linus and Arlo and, um, they'll just break them. They'll probably break them in this, you know, yeah, they destroy will. them and I'll be very upset and disappointed, but, uh, just see the little faces, their little faces getting all those. Like, I got the pirate ships. I got like, I got, I got castles, man. I got the, I don't know if you remember this old Lego like stuff way before they even made like special space stuff. You know, like special space parts. It mm -hmm. was just the regular parts. They just gave them like a motorcycle helmet, but it was like in space. <laughs> like the black, it was called like Blacktron. And um, there was like, a, like the, some, one of them was a bad guys. And uh, there was like a white and a black uh, thing. And um, they, I don't know if they were, one was evil or bad. I don't remember. But um, anyway, uh, all I remember was the Blacktron ones, but they had the white ones with like orange and blue and then black with red and yellow stuff. That was pretty awesome. cool. That's my favorite. I used to build those. And uh, you know what's funny? I was like so anal retentive about it. Um, I would like build the Legos and I would never deviate from the directions. Like I would just – I would build the Legos and they stayed like that. And I would play with them as if they were toys. I would never like take them apart and build new things. And I, I followed the instructions. So like I have the boxes they were in. I have the instructions. Um, I was not – I don't know like if that was like creative. Was that – I don't know if that's like the right way to play with Legos. I guess there's no wrong way to play with Legos, but um, I wasn't uh, super, I guess at the time I didn't think I was like super creative, but I just loved like playing with the Legos. I don't know. Is that weird? It can be fun. That can be fun following the direction, seeing what comes out, knowing that you, you could follow them. And they weren't all super easy because you had to like look at, it's, it's like building a, like a Wayfair thing like he like did i put the screw in right ah yeah re, <laughs> right, re, take it all apart and then it breaks well yeah what my daughter deals with is she she has legos she feels like you do or did yeah. about building them to instructions still do. and then still and then way. my son just goes and destroys them yeah that's <laughs> that's arlo like linus will put it all together arlo will just come and like smash it yeah and uh he doesn't like that but um yeah, my, yeah my it's like um, it either. you know what's funny i had this happen one time where i didn't have the piece they didn't include the piece to finish the, the whole set and it was this uh lego had this thing called technic i don't know if, uh, maybe they i remember that it. yeah it was like it was an 18 like models basically they were like models it was like a big 18 wheeler and it had this thing where you could take the they had like a, a, a spare tire on the back of the, uh, the cab and you could turn that and that would turn the wheels the axles it would turn the wheels on the on the truck and it didn't have the piece to go from the uh the back to the front to turn the gear to turn the wheels it was missing that long little gear piece or, or uh, rod. And I just like gave up. I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> just like, so thinking back, I was like, why did I just do something else? But I didn't. I just was like, no, well, this is, I can't feel, I can't finish this. I'm done. I just put it in the box and it's never been put together to this day. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Which is so sad. I just think about that. I'm like, well, maybe like I could, maybe I can pull it out and uh, order it online now. Cause I'm sure it'll be really easy to order that piece online. And then um, my kids and we could build it and then that'll be kind of fun. So speaking of creativity, Derek, 
that kind of leads us into what I what uh, what I want to talk about today. I want to ask you. I'm curious because um, I was talking with uh, somebody about this. Um, this was actually some time ago, but I, I ran into an old colleague of mine, and um, I used to, this was in advertising, and we worked together, and. Um, she said, oh, what are you up to now? I'm like, oh, I work for you know this company. I do like software. And and she was still in advertising. She's like, oh, you must be so bored. Mm. And I was like, what? Bored? Why would I be bored? To me, software is just such a creative endeavor. You know, and it's not just for, for designers, I don't think I, I would say. Like designers are not the only creative ones in software. And so I wanted to get your take from an engineer's perspective about creativity when it comes to software. What do you think? Yeah, I love the idea. So I got this definition of creative of creativity for Wikipedia and I actually think this actually sums up creativity rather nicely because it doesn't talk about art or design or whatever, but Wikipedia's definition of uh, creativity is something somehow new and somehow valuable is formed. And that is a creative process. Hmm. So the creative item may be intangible, such as an idea, scientific theory, musical composition. It could be a joke or it could be a physical object, such as like an invention, like a car or an airplane or, you know, some kind of printed literary thing or it could be a painting, could be design. But um, creativity is not just for designers when it comes to software. And I think there's like potentially outside of software engineers, I don't think engineers feel this way. But I think a lot of people were like, oh, it's just so boring. It's not creative. And I think that's not true. Um, and I just want to get your uh, your take on it. So I have this this idea. I, wanna, I wanted to get your opinion on it. But um, engineers, right, they write software in various languages and things like that. Can you use, as a software engineer, can you use these languages to write something beautiful like like poetry or a novel or a haiku or something. Um, what do you, when software engineers approach writing code, how do, how do they approach it? And, and like, I don't know, what do you think? What do you, how, how do you become creative uh, writing software? You know, it's funny. I saw this, uh, this meme from years ago. I think it, was, it wasn't even called a meme back then. Probably just called a, uh, something you found online. I don't know. Um, and it outlined solving a problem by different levels of expertise. It started with like not um, junior developer or something, right? Which, you know, you could debate what that actually means. But yeah. you we already talked out, about that in the past episode. Yeah, you need eight plus years experience. To be right, doing. exactly. Um, but it started out with like a long, a long, uh, you know, basically like a page of code to solve this one problem. Then it had, you know, senior developer. And had like, you know, less code and more, you know, succinct. And it, it started to be less and less. And when it got to the end, it was like, like absolute guru. And it was like one line, like he had already logged into the server. He had already done it. It just said like <laughs> echo password or something. It was very, it was a joke. Um, Cause it was about like, like how to get into a system uh, from the outside. So the more you know about a thing, the more you're going to be able to simplify it when you use it. A lot of people use the term idiomatic Ruby, idiomatic Java, when they talk about how to build something using your tools in the best way possible. Um, that's the term people use a lot. Idiomatic. Who you calling idiomatic? Yeah. Just kidding. That's a dad joke. Yeah, you're right. Um, so like when, so in that case, um, I think about like developers a lot of times finding code snippets and things online, copying and pasting code. And I'm wondering, like, um, you know, in the creative process, there's like, 
you just you're pragmatic at some point and you just reuse what's been done because it works or you know you feel like there might need to be a more elegant solution i'm curious when it comes to finding code snippets things like that online is that something where you know like as a designer i might go before i start designing something i might go and look for inspiration somewhere and again like looking back at that at that uh, description from wikipedia it's creating something new or something valuable from something else right that implies like it's creating something from something else so I'm wondering, like pasting code, copy and pasting code, what, is that part of like a creative process as a as an engineer? It can be, but it likely shouldn't be the first thing that people do. Mm-hmm. Um, it sometimes is. Sometimes when you're trying to solve a problem, you got a little bit of pressure under you. you know, I need it by the end of the day. Go figure out how to connect to this database. Something like mm-hmm. that. You Google it. You copy paste in. Um, but what you shouldn't do, and I, what I urge people not to do, is put it in there. Call it done before you understand how it works and why it works that way. And so mm-hmm. that's that's really the um, the level of experience. Like uh, that's what I would expect an experienced person to want to do to know a little bit more about the thing they're they're at, the way they're solving the problem. One thing that you mentioned was kind of interesting when you. When you go and uh, and you're trying to design something new, sometimes you need inspiration. But sometimes that may not come from being inside or being on a computer. Mm. Being a designer may mean you may want to go out and walk down a street you've never been down before and yeah. look at the architecture of the buildings air. or right. look at the way things are structured. Or for a software developer in a really weird way, maybe you'd want to go to like um, the like a... a place that manages um the way boxes sort or something like that Hmm. um or that's interesting does something yeah they've been doing it for many years and they're very efficient in the process and just watching it work and seeing is what i'm doing you know uh more complicated than the actual process people you know go about doing their jobs it's just a you know different ways we can approach a problem and start at the start you know kind of thing that's actually interesting. You know, I'm, I'm actually thinking about this, like copying and pasting. And I, I don't know if this applies to software, but I think about, you know, I used to play music and, um, you know, like old jazz. I know like I used to play saxophone, for instance, and my, my uncle was big on jazz and kind of, you know, taught me a little bit. Anyway, back in, in the day, like back when, um, you know, in the, you know, the 30s, 40s, back before there was the Internet, what, what used to happen is people would learn jazz. They would go to the club when they were younger and they would just listen and they would copy right and they would they would play exactly what um the masters would were playing and over time what they what they would do is once they once they mastered that then at that at that point would they then start to change and and um create something new you know you you couldn't just go in and start playing something new without knowing how to play the saxophone um, or a horn, you have to go and learn how to play the horn and play it as well as the masters before you could create something completely different from the masters. And the same kind of goes for like, you know, back um, in the 1800s, 1700s, impressionist painters, a lot of times what they would do when they were in school is they would, they would literally copy old paintings until they mastered that brushwork. And when they mastered the brushwork, then they would go and create a new, completely new piece of art, you know? Um, 
that stigma kind of now there's a stigma around copying. You know, you want to be original and you don't want to copy. But it's kind of like my thought has always been when it comes to design, at least, is, you know, you have to understand the rules and be able to work within the rules before you can break the rules and create a new thing. And I'm wondering, like, is that is that is there is there a similar um, thought when it comes to building software, you know, because what's interesting about software is nobody ever really sees your work, you know, unless you view the source code, your front end developer or something. But for the most part, you know, back end and, and, and stuff like that, you, you don't ever see that code um, that's been written. I'm just curious. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? How's, how does that? Yeah. You know, I, I've started on projects. It's funny because software is one of those things where, you can be an expert in one area, maybe one language or one way to build something. And then you go do something else and it's like a whole brand new job all over again. Some of the concepts are the same, but you're like, okay, all right. I remember I had to do that before. I have to solve this problem over here using a new technique. A lot of times it's like you start to realize that between the different ways to solve the problems, that there are, you know, trends in doing that. Um, and what you were saying about copying, I think that at first you want to learn how this language or this, you know, database system or this queuing system or whatever, how it operates. Like, like, don't give me theory right now. I can't handle that. I don't even know how to turn it on. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I'd get, I, when I was, I play music as a kid, I get a new, um, as I still do, but like I'd get like a new piece of technology, a new keyboard, and I'm not going to go and try to like, like recreate something. I don't even know how the knobs work, you right. know, even though I have another keyboard sitting right next to it. Um, but if I was an expert at synthesizers and keyboards and stuff like that, then I would have like some go in with some like uh, knowledge about, okay, that's what the LFO2 usually means. So that switch likely does this. Okay, it does. You know, that kind of thing. So it's like as you transition from thing to thing in your career, especially in software, taking with you those trends that you've learned um, can help you get started and move a lot quicker. Yeah. Because well, uh, you've said this a few times, too, in the past is start at the start. You know, like if, if you start at the start when you don't know what the hell is going on, like you can't just jump into a new project or some some using a new new language or something if you have no idea what the fundamentals of that language are so you have to learn you have to start at the start learn the fundamentals first before you can be on that but if you already understand the fundamentals you you start you know from a different place from whatever your understanding is or something um right yeah that absolutely. Kind of what you're saying yeah that's yeah. it yeah i think that um when you start where you're comfortable where you feel like okay this uh, where i'm at right now I understand the world around me. I understand. I can. I can understand the concepts I'm learning about. Let's say you're going from language to language. First thing you want to know is maybe maybe you set some small goal for yourself. Don't set the goal of this is what the product leader or whatever asked me to do. Set the goal of I want to print hello, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know. Next right. goal will be a little more complicated. It's so like you're giving yourself levels to get to. Even though you've already done it in another language, you have to understand and be self-aware enough to know, I haven't done it in this yet. I don't know how to do this. I'm like, for instance, like I'm great at riding a bicycle, but I'm not sure I'll be able to control a motorcycle, even though they both have two wheels 
and they go forward. Right. Well, that you just brought up something too. Like start with this specific thing. I think one thing that's interesting about creative problem solving that I've kind of always thought about this at least is it's a lot easier for me at least to create something with a certain amount of constraints than it is to just start with a complete blank slate. You know, so like if someone said, said to me, go and create some beautiful design and gave me no limitations, it would be a lot harder than to say, I want you to create a logo for this thing that gives this feeling that has a certain color palette or a certain, you know, strikes a certain feeling or something. Um, it's much easier to do with certain constraints, right? So like if, if I'm, if I'm just given the, say I need, we need to create software for, to change the industry, right? That is a much harder task to go and just do without understanding any of the constraints around it. And so I think one of the interesting things for me, at least about software, is there's a lot of different constraints that we have to think about that we could solve creatively when it comes to building software. There could be budgetary constraints. So we have to, you have to do this thing within this budget, right? Or time constraints. You have to do this amount of stuff within this amount of time. We only have this much time to do it. Um, could be hardware constraints. You know, this thing has to work on this specific device, you know, so you don't think, you know, don't, you can't think about voice or anything with cameras or, or whatever. You're just building within these constraints, certain hardware constraints. So to me, it's like, it's easier to ideate and, and think about new things and solve a problem when you have, you know, something you can think in terms of, uh, certain constraints. And then that allows you you know, just like you, you understand the masters and then you can think outside of what they're doing or change what they're doing. Once you understand the constraints, then that's when you can start to think outside the box and start to bend the rules and say, well, could we do this? You know, uh, could we do that? You know, and that's the kind of stuff where I think you start to, you start to be able to be more creative when you have those constraints and then you can work around them, you know? And I think that's where, when I think about creativity in software, you know, we're talking about you as an engineer and me as a designer, but I feel like the whole software team are problem solvers, you know? I mean, there's business problems to solve, business process problems that are completely unrelated to software. Software could be a solution for one of those problems, but, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Could be a paper process. Could be a manual process. Why does it have to always be software, right? Could be a design problem. Could be a technical problem, you know? Um, could be something that a soft piece of software would solve. And so in that case, you know, uh, an engineer might solve it. Right. So I think that's kind of interesting for me is like uh, when people think about software, I guess we're preaching in the choir here because most of our listeners are probably going to be software teams uh, or people that work in software. Probably like, yeah, duh. Why are you talking about this? But, um, you know, it's interesting to me how many people outside of software that maybe this is more just like from designers, like when, when designers hear that you're like a software, like, oh, that's so boring. Oh, God, I couldn't do that. That just seems so technical. And I just feel like that's completely untrue. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like the constraints you talk about, uh, a lot of times they're on your own knowledge. So you'll have, <laughs> um, like we talked about, kind of starting from the start. Um, it's, it's from a software developer's perspective, sometimes you can look at a designer and say, you guys can create anything from anything. But if you're not following by, you know, the re reality, the constraints, let's say design patterns uh, that are, uh, you know, standard across the organization, colors, things like that, like real things that make sense to people. Um, uh, or even like accessibility issues, like what, how do, like, okay, we're building a system for blind people. 
yet we have a lot of colors on the screen. Why? Um, you know, so it's like, and, and it's a website. Why? You know, like asking questions like that. Um, but so that that's one of those things where like, if you don't rely on other people to allow you allow them to tell you what the constraints really are, then you're going to run into so many problems down the road. I'm working with a team right now oh, yeah. that is is blazing ahead, asking questions about, can we do this? Should we do this? They're doing their absolute best. They're having a lot of trouble because the uncertainty of all the things they're trying to change are causing them to quote unquote slip deadlines, things like that, because everything's so uncertain. But they are asking questions, you know, and that's the important thing. Um, they're asking, hey, we're not sure if uh, if this is the best approach, considering we pay this much for this. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, some right. Amazon AWS service. We pay this much for this service, so we're not sure if we should set it up like this. And that's really thoughtful, you know, because you're not just mm-hmm. thinking about you and finishing your problem to make yourself look good in the organization, whatever. Um, you're thinking about the broader uh, organization and everything they're right. building, too. Yeah, you just said something, too, that I think is is worth you know, pointing out is software is more of a team effort. I mean, you know, you can't, I I guess you could, you could theoretically build software on your own. Um, but there's so many different skills and things involved with, with creating software, you know, um, it's, it's nearly impossible for somebody to write really good software completely on their own without any help at all. Um, and so I think that's, um, that's something to keep in mind is, you know, as we talk in a minute about tips and things like that, um, always talking it out and talking with your team and understanding that you're not solving the problem on your own and you're solving the problem with a group of people that are also should be at least trying to solve the same problem as you. You shouldn't be trying to solve different problems all on the same software, right? In theory, at least. So yeah. um, all the software, all the problems that you're trying to solve are at the end of the day related to one bigger problem that the software should be solving. So you're, you're all on the same team. I think that's something to really, you know, kind of stress. Um, and we talk a lot about, you know, engineers versus designers versus product people like uh, butting heads constantly. And to me, this is sort of one of those things that, uh, that where you go back and you say, why are we fighting? This is, we're all solving the same problem. We're on the same team. We should be solving this together. Why are we fighting? Um, I think if anything, this, this whole topic of, of problem solving and being creative, um, stresses the, the, the point that, that it's really important to collaborate because some of these problems might be way bigger than for one person to solve on their own yeah it's interesting man like what you just said looking back on the product projects we've worked on products whatever the times when it got real stressful it's when people couldn't articulate the constraints that they knew were there Mm. yeah but couldn't they couldn't kind of explain them well enough so that we couldn't all understand them and get on the same page and it would go on and on and on or they'll hide them and they won't think they're important enough to share. And then all of a sudden, Politics that constraints the biggest play. thing in the whole world that you have to spend a right. lot of time working on. You know, which so, creates even more problems. <laughs> exactly. Solve. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it goes back to that, you know, uh, yeah. teamwork, communication type stuff. Right. So, so thinking about the stuff we talked about today. So, in general, um, how could we be more creative? Or maybe being creative isn't the isn't the goal, but but solving the problems in a creative way. 
is really the goal. Using creativity to solve problems is the goal. Um, how can how can we as software teams solve problems better? Yeah. So one thing that I would highly recommend is that you stop trying to solve the whole problem at the same time. Stop trying to solve everything at once. You want to do that native naturally because if something's written down in a user story or something's written down as a feature, it can be written down very succinctly, but the process you have to go to solve it needs to be step by step, little by little. Make sure you start where you are comfortable, move slowly through the process. Um, so that's one big thing. Yeah. You mentioned before starting starting where starting at the start or um, if you don't understand something, but starting where you're comfortable, I guess. So if you need to start at the start, start at the start. Um, but starting at the at the maybe, I don't know, the the, the start of the problem. <laughs> where did this problem start or or uh, what caused this problem, maybe like a root cause analysis or something, or potentially if it's if the it's a larger just business problem that the software's trying to solve. Um, understanding that problem, understanding um, that specific thing in context, which I guess kind of goes back to what you're saying about simplifying the problem. But starting there, starting at the right place, starting where you're comfortable, um, seeing where where um, where this starts to make sense, and then starting from there where it starts to be muddy. Um, I think listing out your constraints is is key, um, and it gives you a framework for. Um, what uh what where you can and cannot do certain things to solve a problem which again for me makes actually a little bit easier understanding what my constraints are um you start to be able to list out options and being able to say well these are the things that we could do you know because at the end of the day for me creativity is about you know going through all of your potential options for a certain outcome and picking a series of best options to get to a final outcome that, that ends up creating that new thing that we talked about before. Um, so if I think about design, you know, I have the options for like red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, whatever. Um, what are, what are my options? I have those five or seven options. Um, which ones can I pick to help me solve the problem in the best way possible? So listing out your constraints. Um, I think mapping out things always has always helped me. Um, getting people in a room together, workshops, whiteboarding, sticky notes on a wall, connecting dots, everybody looking at a big problem holistically, you know? Um, I don't know about softwares. I know softwares tend to be introverted sometimes, um, but uh, maybe designers are more extroverted. I don't know. But uh, for me, getting in a room and just talking it out and just listing out things and, and looking at it all together and trying to see big picture to me has, has always been incredibly helpful when trying to solve problems. I don't know. Do engineers like that whiteboarding generally? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the thing that I would encourage engineers to do though, our software people or whatever you call yourselves these days, um, pick the fewest people that you can <laughs> that understand the problem that you feel comfortable talking to and interrupting. If you feel comfortable, <laughs> like inter if you feel comfortable enough interrupting them when they're talking, bring them in the meeting. Because that's what's going to have to happen while you're thinking about the idea, the problem together. Yeah. Also, one thing we had talked about start from the start, I would recommend when you get a new problem to solve, unless you are absolutely crystal clear on how to solve it, it is something very simple, it is a fix to something you worked on or some change, a minor thing, close your computer, stand up. Yeah. 
pull someone aside if you can, if you're in that, you know, after we can, you know, actually talk to people again and be in the same room with them, pull someone aside, draw it, write it down on a sheet of paper, think about it, think through it. So um, you can uh, visualize it without having technology get in your way. Um, And then go back to the, you know, I love your idea of closing the computer. I, I feel like a lot of times that's when I, I tend to do some of my best like aha moments or when I'm not staring at a computer, when I'm, when I've gone for a walk, when I'm in the shower, when I'm cooking dinner, when I'm, you know, taking a break from the problem and letting my brain just refresh. Um, I think staring at a screen for hours and hours and hours, Googling for hours and hours and hours is, is, is not going to eventually help you. If you haven't found it after a certain point, <laughs> it's going to be very difficult. Get some sleep get some rest, get a, grab a cup of coffee, go for a walk, clear your head. Um, to me, that's, that's kind of, um, something I, I think is, is really critical. I personally love your idea. Finding somebody you can interrupt, <laughs> somebody that won't get offended, um, by you interrupting each other, right. Or somebody who you can play off of and riff off of and, and, um, and come up with ideas and things like that. I think that's a fantastic point. I love that one. Yeah, because you can get real excited in a room with that person and really like just like start like just you kind of you kind of got to go crazy for a little while when you have a a, more of a hard problem to solve. Um, You got to kind of lose it, but you got to lose it with someone there so they can bring you back in. It's also good to have different personalities in the room. Some people who are kind of subdued, some people who are kind of wild and crazy. Just make sure they're (laughs) all comfortable with each other or else you're going to run into a problem where one doesn't speak. If you notice in a room and you're brainstorming and somebody's not speaking that person doesn't feel comfortable enough with you. And that's the indication. Um, that's a good point. That's the indication there. Uh, I so love that. that's a good, that's a really great point. Um, I think getting feedback often and validating, 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 just testing your work, checking and see if it's the right solution, you know, just because you think it is the right solution doesn't necessarily mean it is. Um, so validating, validating, validating. Um, and then, uh, you know, do it all again. <laughs> as needed <laughs> if, if the if the thing was not right don't be afraid to scrap it and start over you know uh, i guess it always plays back into your constraints about budget and time and things like that maybe you can't but um always be ready to change your mind if if something ends up not being the right solution yeah i would say also just learn to love the process of building software because it's collaborative because that. it's fun because it's like me and jeremy can sit in a room together and talk about this cool thing that we got to that people are paying us to do and help to help people out. Like we can, we can get excited about that. Like, yeah, it's kind of complicated, but like, man, it's cool that we get to do this together. Like just thinking about those things can help like, like lower your uh, anxiety about, Oh, some big boss is telling me to do something has a deadline. Yeah. Um, the other thing you were saying about like closing the computer, we kind of were both were saying that concept. A lot of us have this misconception that the computer's got all the answers in it. Yeah. You have the, the answers. It doesn't have any answers in it. It has yeah. it has suggestions as to how you might solve a problem. Um, a lot of times that we though we think like we open up Google or we open up like you know just open up a browser and think like all right I'm ready for the computer to just let me have it. Give me everything, computer. <laughs> I want all the answers. And just like you have to have the the skill to be able to find those things on the internet, to be able to piece them together, to get your answers. Sure. You know what I mean? And you got to be able to interpret it to even know if what you're looking at is even applicable because there's so much stuff on the internet. Um, how do you even know if what you're looking at relates at all to what you're talking about? If it's a completely separate thing, 
you know, and if you don't understand that, how are you ever going to use the internet to solve your problem? <laughs> exactly. So that's a good one. Um, yeah, I love that, man. So that's it. I don't know. Um, problem solving is, is not easy. It's hard, but I think it's what makes this job so much fun. Yeah, man. Um, I want to, I want to state one more time, Derek. Um, I don't know if you heard before you may have missed it, but we've got stickers. Sticker time. It's going to be sticker time. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm going to put it right, right over my, uh, all my other stickers. I'm just going to bloop right on there on that laptop. I'm going to put it on my car. I'm going to put it on my, um, Amy's forehead. I'm not going to do that. She's, she'd be upset. I'll give, I'm going to give one to Amy though and see if she puts it on her laptop because <laughs> she on. listens. I don't know. Um, I actually, I can't remember if I, if I mentioned this on the air, I think we didn't, but, uh, I told you that I think she listens. She sent me a screenshot of her top five podcasts the other day. Retro time was number five. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not even like top three. Her That's own husband's right. I'll take what I can get. Catherine's right. never listened to one get. all the way through. So. <laughs> well, Amy's oh. like in, kind of in software too. She's a product owner. So, yeah. so it, it relates, but yeah, she's, um, I, I won't blame Catherine. Catherine I don't blame like, Catherine. Shut either. up dummies. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so she's in top five right under uh, Michelle Obama's podcast. Uh, and then some other ones that I can't remember. I'm honored to be Nearly second to Michelle, you know. <laughs> That's all right. You know Michelle. what? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. But anyway, so yeah, so we've got stickers on the way. They'll be here after Christmas, but uh, we uh, check out the website and uh, we'll have that on there. I got to add some like, e-commerce thing where you can have people buy them and stuff. But uh, keep an eye out for that. Check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. And if you uh, want to let us know what you think about creativity and software, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um I'd love to know if what I'm saying is right or not, or if you agree with what I'm saying. Um, so let us know. Um, shoot us an email, uh, retrotimepodcast.com. Hello at retrotimepodcast.com. And uh, yeah, find us online. And if we don't talk to you guys before uh, New Year's, which we may not, I don't know if we're going to get another episode in. Um, good riddance, 2020. Get the hell out of here. Right. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you, 2020. I was joking with a friend that 2020 ended like uh like a movie that you know like you want to see that second movie like the vaccine comes out like the president um we, we have a new president and stuff it's a cliffhanger like, yeah it's like a cliffhanger <laughs> like like what's gonna happen next like in episode in. two of 2020 like tune in you know? next year right tune in next everything year goes back for, to normal <laughs> right God, fingers crossed so. um, fingers crossed yeah anyway yeah i can't wait man all right, y'all. We'll have a good Christmas. Have a good holiday, Hanukkah, all that stuff. And uh, we'll catch you in 2021, I guess. All right. Take it easy. All right. Take it easy, y'all. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs>